Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Well, we're talking to Bethany Jansen. This is a young person with a great vision for, well, you're going to see the cause. It's an awesome cause. I just met Bethany. You and I met in Guadalajara, Mexico at a conference down there. Yeah. And you were telling me a little bit of what you were, what you're doing. And take the first 60 seconds and tell sort of your life history, where you were born, where you went to school, how you got what you're in now. And then we're going to jump right into the actual work that you're doing. I grew up in Oregon, so just outside of Portland, Oregon, which if people know much about it, it's known for being rather crazy. But went to Corbin University, a small Christian college there, and then I ended up working for Students for Life of America before the Lord really clearly opened the door and called me to come to Europe to help them to launch the first pro-life student groups there, especially in Austrian Germany. And that soon formed into Pro-Life Europe, which is the first European-wide pro-life student organization. And eventually people reached out from Africa and Asia and asked us to come there and to help start pro-life student movements, which led to the founding of Pro-Life Global two years ago. And now I've been to, I think, 36 countries. I'm 29 now. So I feel like it's a lot more coming than I lose count of. But I'm really just grateful to see God working. And really the vision that he's given me is to raise up an army of lifesavers, 73 million lifesavers to save the 73 million that are lost every year to abortion. Oh, wow, what an introduction. 36 countries. Yeah, I think it's been that sometimes more. I don't know. I have an app I try to keep count on, you know, but it can get complicated at times. So, yeah. That is. That I is don't count when I just had like a layover, you know, it doesn't you, count. Can you just tell us a moment ago what your age was? Did I hear that? 29. I thought that's what you said. I know we're never supposed to ask a woman her age, so you volunteered it. But 36 countries yep. or more, and you're not, you're only 29. That's quite remarkable. That's 73 million number. Uh, well, just, just tell us what you are doing. And uh, and you're in the process of resettling in Washington, D.C. So give us an overview of the organization you're with and what the goal is. Pro-Life Global, our vision is to raise up an army of lifesavers. In the book of Esther, when there was a life of a whole group of people that were being threatened, Esther spoke up to the king. And then what they did was they sent a decree out all across from Ethiopia to India, 127 provinces. And this decree called every Jew to gather together in every city to fight to defend life. And what we're doing today with Pro-Life Global is we are calling every believer to gather together in every city, every university, and every school, because we believe those are modern day battlegrounds for the hearts and minds of our young people and for the one out of three people worldwide who are being terminated before birth. So we're forming life teams, and these life teams are there to bring eternal life as well as physical life, because God made us as physical beings on this earth for a reason. He didn't make us as angels just to go to eternity, to have eternity with him. Our physical bodies matter, and that's why we believe that every single person that God has made also matters. And how do we save those lives? How do we change the culture? We do mainly two things. And everywhere around the world that I've gone, whenever I meet with pro-life leaders or with young people, with church leaders, I ask them, what do we need to make your country or your school or your university pro-life? 
And there's always two things that people say. What is education? That means we need to actually talk about this issue. We need to have awareness to the fact that human lives are being killed. We need awareness about the fact that people matter at the moment of conception, both from a biblical perspective as well as a scientific perspective. We need awareness in the media. We need awareness on the streets. We need awareness all these different ways. But secondly, we need support. That means we need to help the people practically who are in pregnancy crisis, right? We need to let them know that we're there for them and that we're going to come alongside and be with them. We need to help our young people to know they're not alone in seeking to live a life in alignment with God's principles of purity, of chastity, of waiting for marriage to have sexual intimacy and using this time as a young person to make a difference in the greatest impact area you can the greatest human rights crisis of our time. So we're really calling young people to live totally radically different, whole but heartily sold out for God, using everything that they have in their being to save lives. We have 100, 135 lives that we know of that have been saved by our leaders around the world in the past two years. Some of these are high school kids who hear that their friend is pregnant at school, and they go and they talk to their friend and they say, what's happening? Why are you pregnant? For example, in Uganda, and they find out that the girl is going to get kicked out of her house because she's pregnant. Her, she's been beaten by her parents. Maybe she's already kicked out. They say, hey, let's help you. Let's find a place for you to live. I was talking today with, with Phyllis, who is our African coordinator, and she was sending me pictures of one of the girls that they helped to choose life, who just gave birth to her baby. She had a C-section. But in Kenya, culturally, the parents cannot have the child who gives birth out of wedlock live with the family. So therefore, she's living in the slums in a little shack that the roof is about to fall in and she's about to get rained on because she wants to live next to her parents so her mom can help her nurse the child, but she culturally cannot live in the same house as her family and as her father. And so. What is the solution to this? Well, is how, and this is what I told Phyllis, like, is there someone else she can stay with? And what I was also thinking even as I was getting ready for this call is how could the community come together and help build her own house? Or maybe there's a different family that can take her in. But legally, there's like cultural, there's like laws where you can't take in someone who's not part of your immediate family because they're afraid of rape and things like that, human trafficking. So there's all these massive like cultural problems that we have to tackle. But I believe the solution to tackle these is young people, right? We as young people have the potential to change the world. We want the world to be different. We know that the world, the people need to know Jesus and that we can make a difference. And if we empower them and empower the young people in our churches to have a mission, then I think that's going to solve our church's greatest problem. Because our churches are having right now two out of three young people that are walking away from the faith around the late teens and early 20s. And this is a global statistic. This isn't just an American statistic. This is also happening in Africa and in Latin America and even in Asia. And in Europe, I hate to say it, but there's only 5% of the people that are even going to church regularly in most countries. Probably Poland is an outlier. But that means what actually helps young people to stay in the faith? And there's three things that there's been statistical analysis that's shown. The first one is you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
So you need to know God. Secondly, you need to have an authentic friends. So this is a discipleship community of people who are able to speak into your life, support you and challenge you. Maybe you're struggling with pornography. You need to have people who you can be honest and real with and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? Can you support me in this? The last thing is you need to have a mission, a battle to fight that human lives on this earth depend upon. And as Christians, I know that sometimes it's easy to get focused in the eternal battle. But Jim, you're focused on the physical battle as well. That's why you're doing prayer breakfast for political leaders, right? Because you see that the laws matter, policies matter, and we need to have those be influenced by the spirit of God. And that's why we need to actually save the people who God has made so they can't even have the chance in the future to make a difference, to influence their policies, to be a person who's thriving in the world. And that's when we have, again, one out of three people that are being killed and never even getting that chance. And that's why I believe this is truly the greatest battle that we need to call a generation to fight. Folks, you're listening to Bethany Jansen, J-A-N-Z-E-N, the most articulate 29-year-old on the entire planet. You are passionate, and oh my goodness, what you're sharing is so profoundly encouraging. The organization she's part of, folks, is called Pro-Life Global. Um, can you tell me, who founded Pro-Life Global? So there's three of us who founded it. I'm one of the co-founders and Melanie Salazar, Angelique Clark. We were all just young people in our 20s, had been involved in the pro-life student movement in the U.S. and internationally and saw this need. We actually were in the back of a Jeep in Uganda traveling to a training that we were hosting for high school students there who just started the first life teams in high schools in Uganda. And within the first year, actually, these 10 teams saved 36 babies from abortion. They've been raising pigs to support their pro-life efforts. They've been actually asked to sit in on the village councils in their communities. The only like elders are on because of the fact that they're making such an impact in their community. But two years ago, we were there going to this training and discussing what are we gonna be doing? And I said, hey, the Lord's really put this on my heart to really raise up young leaders around the world who don't have anyone discipling and training them. And Melanie and Angelique said, hey, let's do it too. And that's where we formed Pro-Life Global. And since then, we're official registered 501c3 nonprofit. We have a board that has Jonathan Mirren, who's a pro-life leader from Canada, John Mark Porter, who's an auditor, audits nonprofits, and also been involved in pro-life student movement. Dawson, who's actually a law student from the U.S. And then we also have Melanie Salazar, a co-founder. And we also have leaders all around the world. We have about 100 teams and 1,000 young people that we are mentoring, discipling at the moment. This is, this is astounding. It is so encouraging. How, what's your website? Prolifeglobal.org. And if they want to make a donation, uh, you probably just have way too much money and you don't need any more money. Is that right? <laughs> well, actually, we desperately need money. It would be really helpful. We know every $1,000 actually saves a life. So if you want to invest your money in something where you're going to be raising up the next generation and it's going to be replicative, then invest in ProLife Global. And that's everything we do. We think, who can we train? This morning, I was meeting with leaders from across India and making a plan, a strategy for them to make India pro-life and to raise up the Indian young leaders. And the past year since working with them, 
they've been able to bring together both the Catholic leaders and evangelical pro-life leaders. And it just had the first pro-life gathering of both Catholic and evangelical pro-life leaders together in India and Kolkata to strategize of how can they create a pro-life India. And now the next plan strategy is how do we educate all the young people and empower them to start these local teams all across India? And that's, I think that's going to be, because the young youth are the future, Jim, right? We need to have a thousand people like you, but how are we going to get there? I honestly, I've tried to have conversations with older people and to change their minds on abortion. It's hard. It's a lot easier if you're in high school to reach a high school kid and to help them to become pro-life. It's a lot easier to mentor the young people and to help them to be our future leaders. And I think that's what the church has been missing. The church hasn't been actually actively investing in our young people and giving them a battle to fight and helping them to fight that battle. But if we don't, we literally have lost the future. And that's why I think no matter who's listening from wherever around the world, they need to reach their young people and empower them. And Yusuf, I was going to tell the story of Yusuf because I think it ties into a lot of what you're doing at the prayer breakfast. He's from Nigeria. He was a nurse, actually, when he found out that abortion was happening at his hospital. And he decided to ask the hospital to stop this. They refused, so he decided to leave his hospital. When he found out a year ago that the World Health Organization was hosting events all across Nigeria and was going to actually pressure the Nigerian government, even though abortion is not legal in their country, to make abortion according to health standards, he actually organized rallies across the whole country and media and got the Nigerian government to change their stance. And I think that's the impact that one person can have. Uh, I am immensely proud of you. Just, uh, just on a personal note, I've been involved in the pro-life struggle in a very active way since 1980, approximately. <clears throat> and Saturdays go to abortion the abortuaries, the killing centers in Dallas-Fort Worth. There were six or seven, or maybe nine in Dallas, and there were about three or four in Fort Worth, almost a dozen. Well, you go on Saturdays, <clears throat> and Operation Rescue was also active at that point, and blocking the entrances. Uh, I was involved with the prayer teams and the worship teams in front of the clinics, and then offering to young women and the young men who brought them uh money how apartments whatever we needed to save the life of the baby and uh i was amazed how hard it was to get other pastors involved i was shocked i thought every pastor they all said they were pro-life but they wouldn't show up for events and then as my wife and i my, my late wife she passed away of cancer uh, over a decade ago but we adopted four children and the oldest one of our children as the world prayer network family well knows they've heard this story so I'll put it in a sentence, but my oldest adopted child is the result of a gang rape, uh, conceived as a gang rape. And that 14-year-old girl had a very problematic pregnancy and was flat on her back for three months in a hospital by herself, 70 miles away from her mother. There was no dad involved. Uh, my cousins happened to be doctors in the community, and, and one of them was her immediate care, and the other one was one who delivered are the one who became our first adopted child. And we've had the privilege of being, uh, actually was with that birth mother again, as much as last week, uh, two two weeks ago at my at my mother's funeral back in the Midwest. I don't live in the Midwest, I live in California, but it's back there and, and that birth mother came. That birth mother's a hero 
uh, to us under those uh, horrific conditions that she she kept that baby <coughs> and that little baby <coughs> grew up and she's the pastor's wife a phenomenal pastor's wife of a mega church uh in the state of california mm -hmm. so uh we, we we are so i'm just so grateful what what you're what you're doing of the 193 member nations of the united nations do you have a feel for how many countries in which abortion is legal and how many countries in which it is still illegal great question so it's legal in phases if you look at the map there's some countries where abortion is legal for any reason, no matter what, and that's actually very, very few countries. So Canada, the U.S. up until Roe versus Wade was overturned, and North Korea, China, that's when, actually, I think even China's put some limitations recently, but that's when it's legal for any reason. Now, most countries, though, do have legal abortion under certain circumstances. There's a few countries in Africa and the Middle East that don't. And there's about maybe three left in Latin America and Central America. Jamaica is one of those that don't allow legal abortion. And we've been really working on helping to build up the countries that do not allow legal abortion, supporting those, because they're in a massive, massive battle. Planned Parenthood Global gave a year ago 68 million to support 90 plus organizations around the world, specifically focusing on Latin America and Africa to pressure these countries and to raise up young people to stand for abortion. They have 10 focused countries, one of which is actually Kenya, where we'll be sending a team, I'm going there in two weeks, to train up local leaders so that we can really make Kenya pro-life and have young leaders all across Kenya. So we have 24 teams at the moment in Kenya, but we want to make that 2,400 in the long run. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, I can't tell you the exact numbers, but again, if you look at Europe, it's generally illegal, but it's not punished. So it's illegal on a criminal basis, but like civilly, it's not punished, if that makes sense. So it's this weird, like, but everybody thinks it's legal because of the fact that it's, but it's only legal up to 12 weeks or 24 weeks, depending upon the country. Uh, our time is up regretfully. But I believe you said to me at the outset, you had some slides to show, some PowerPoint, and we did not get to yes. that. Yes. Uh, or is that something you could do just very quickly? Because our time is is up regretfully. Or can sure. You okay, go right ahead. I can show you guys real fast. Yeah, that sounds great. So this is one of our groups in Uganda helping one of the moms that they gave the help to choose life and giving her a sewing machine. And so like we spoke about earlier, how young people are leaving the church. And the reasons are because they're not connected oftentimes, but this is why we need to empower people to actually fight to save lives. And we see the majority of abortions actually happen out to the US, but the majority of funding is actually going to the pro-life movement. And that's naturally results in very few pro-life student movements internationally. That's what we're working to change, to help the real people in real crisis, to be able to raise up and to save lives so that we can have a real life future. And that's via the life teams, which we discussed, right? Which gather and they pray and they do. They do what the Lord has told them to do, to educate about the injustice, support those in pregnancy crisis, and empower people to start the new teams and really replicate working with the church to launch the teams everywhere around the world. These are some of our leaders. This is Yusuf, who I mentioned. 
and some of the statistics and things that we have done over the last few years. I love to tell this story though of Polly and Bree. Polly was a university student. Bree was her daughter actually, but she was pregnant, planning to get an abortion as her boyfriend was having financial struggles and was wondering how he's gonna be able to provide for this child. She thought her parents would not help her with her education, but she found a pro-life leader who helped her and supported her. And through that student leader of Pro-Life Global supporting her and the community coming alongside her, she's been able to have her baby. She's engaged. She's almost done with her university education. Her boyfriend's got a job or fiance now. And this is the power of what we can do to save lives. And the question is, will you join that? <laughs> That's the fastest presentation of PowerPoint. <laughs> I don't know if we got to see all those, but you did a phenomenal job. Bethany Jansen, I am so, I'm just so impressed with you. Uh, lead in prayer for the preborn babies around the world right now and their mommies, if you would. And then we're going to continue on in prayer later on for this cause. Father, we just love you, Lord. Can you guys see we me? We thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you that you saved us, God. We ask, God, that you would save every single person, Lord, every single baby, God, that you loved and that you made, that you want to have a life, God, on earth and for eternity, Lord. Show us how you want each and every one of us to save the lives of those in this world. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us and that you've saved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Bethany Jansen, if they want you to come speak at their church or some organization or have you by a Zoom call, can they contact you at prolifeglobal.org? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Bethany Jansen. You are a blessing. Well, now we're going to go to Bethany Live. That was taped, I, I believe, in October. Uh, so a little bit dated, but uh, she had a lot of important things to share. Bethany, you are on live with us right now and fresh from the March for Life in Washington, D.C. So uh, give us a quick overview of what happened a few days ago in the March for Life in our, our nation's capital. Well, hello, everybody. Pleasure to be with you in person here live. So Friday was a very snowy day and very cold day. But there were quite a few of us, the estimates are about 100,000, who braved it out there to stand in the snow. It was literally snowing while we were out there, and my leather boots got quite salt-stained afterwards with the water. But it was absolutely worth it. So I think there was like two protesters, actually pro-abortion protesters by the Supreme Court. I guess they weren't ready to brave the snow like we were. But it was beautiful. I think since Dobbs has happened, we no longer have the same, I think some people have no longer have the same urgency to come to the March for Life, but we decided to change the route and ended actually at the Capitol this year with really the thought in mind that we're calling the Capitol to take action to save the lives of all the children in the U.S. that are being lost. Thank you for that report. So glad you were there. We've been there. We were there one year, I think. And, and I, I think of course, a lot of people don't go anymore since Roe v. Wade, so they assume they don't need to go, and they really do need to keep going. But uh, I think there was about 600,000. I don't think I'd ever seen a crowd so large uh, as what I saw. This is quite a few years ago. I could not believe. And I'm going to say 85% of the crowd was under the age of 30. Absolutely. There's so many young people, honestly, 
there. I hardly, yeah, it was amazing to see so many young people. And there was actually quite a few internationals as well. So I had some friends from Austria, Slovenia, uh, Malta, Colombia who were there. It was really cool to see that presence. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.